Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace. And along with my co-host, Jack Humphrey, we are the co-founders of TheLeveragists.com and Divizio.com. How are you today, Jack? I am great. I discovered a trick today. You did? (laughs) Well, normally I don't like coconut tea, coconut-flavored tea, but when it's dark and extremely frigid, it does make me feel like beachy. I feel like I'm on a beach a little bit. So if anybody's having the SADS or any of that kind of seasonal affective disorder or any of that, or you're just bummed out because it's winter, try coconut tea. Might help. That's a very good idea. I can see why that would make you feel that way. I'll have to try that. It would make it would make me mad in the summer. I'd feel like I was drinking suntan lotion. But right now, I was surprisingly delighted. So there you go. <laughs> Well, we have a fantastic guest for everyone today, so why don't you go ahead and tell them who we have with us. We have Dr. Pauline crawford who is a gender dynamics expert, author, behavior expert, and business psychologist with 30 years of successful consulting, primary expertise in gender dynamics programs, seminars, and courses. She has completed original research on Wellness Map Survey, developing tools and techniques, and conducted seminars in the UK and Europe on wellness, cultures, performance, and employee engagement. And clients include eBay, Barclays, Metropolitan Police, News International, HP Consulting, and Nair Company, Nair and Company, since 1999, leading corporate heart and an innovative performance consultancy in the U.K., and now engaged with transforming education of entrepreneurs worldwide. Wow. Dr. Pauline, welcome to Leverage Masters. Hi, Jack. Hi, um, Gina. How are you today? We are awesome. That is a heck of a thing. I guess I'm going to start out with uh, the way I start everyone out. What are you super excited about right now? What got you out of bed? Agree today today. Well, I tell you, I'm super excited about talking to you two. <laughs> I love being in America because I'm not an American. I'm British, and it's a beautiful sunny day, and I'm so excited about life because everything is a challenge today, and I love challenges. Awesome. Perfect answer. So um, I'll start with my um, ignorance of your um, area of focus and everything, starting with gender dynamics. What does that mean? Uh, oh, yes. Well, um, the focus is on the dynamics, um, and Jack, that's really important. Like, you and Gina have a dynamic between you. So it's about people, men and women, so that's where the gender part comes in, but it's, it's about mm-hmm. behavior. So it's about what's the dynamic between us and it could be between men and men, could be between women and women. So it's, the, it's looking at the, as, the assets we have as born boys or girls. 
So it's looking at when do we pay, behave well and when do we behave not so well. And as we know, there's quite a lot of um, not very good behavior in the world sometimes that gets reported, isn't that right, between men and women? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I yeah. want to jump in here for just one minute because yeah. in my lifetime, I'm going to be 55 this year. Yeah. I have typically held roles in my career that are much more the norm for men to hold, not women. And I get along so much better with men than I do with women. When I'm working (laughs) with women, oh, my goodness, it's like it just doesn't come together well. So I can see how having someone who's really got this as an expertise could be extremely beneficial to both men and women. Well, that's exactly right, Gina. And one of the things I've been studying for the last 30 years of my career and uh, is that the whole landscape of life has changed, but the whole landscape of business has changed. So there are a lot more women in business now. We've grown into a very mixed community in terms of working and working and living and living and working and what's the mix. And sometimes women don't get on with each other um, and sometimes men don't get on with each other. But we've got different types of men out there and different types of women. So I always ask my audiences, are men and women the same? No, they will say. Are men the same? No. Are women all the same? No. So we need to work out what's the mix. Why is it that you felt that you could get on better with men? Maybe it's because you had some, if I dare say, masculine energy in you that tuned in to what business is about. Do you understand what I mean? I very much do. You know, when I was young, like 18 years old, I accidentally got into a career move where I was designing architectural glass for specialty applications. And I did Uh a lot of zoos and aquariums, but I also did prisons and psych hospitals. Well, walking Uh through a prison as a woman, oh, man, that is an experience, I'll tell you what. And I've been in some of the highest security prisons in the country because of it. Then from there, I moved into selling big wheel bearings, like the kind that you would put in giant tractor trailers that are humongous, and was oftentimes the only woman on the trade show floor. I've also sold power tools for a living. Again, National Hardware Show, I'm the only woman who isn't a model. I'm actually there in a business capacity. And from there, got into my legal career and now into being a business consultant, business strategy. I've been told that I think like a man. I don't think I think like a man. I I really don't. (laughs) Well, I have a more masculine energy about me, I think. And women, for the most part, I'm not one that's really into fashion and, you know, the stuff that women usually care about. So I don't have time for that. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I so tune in to you, Gina, because I'm, I'm very similar. I've got quite a masculine mind. Um, I remember somebody saying to me once, oh, you drive a car like a man, and I took that as a compliment. So, um, mm-hmm. I would as well. Yeah. So you've been working in some very male environments where having a masculine energy is useful, but it doesn't take away from you being a female. So it makes us quite unusual because we're a female but with a masculine mindset so I define exactly I I help women to understand the difference and this is where the magic is what I discovered 
because I became an image consultant 30 years ago, is that our body makes a difference. So what I mean by that is that um, your actual structure of your body maybe is more like a, a tomboy. Uh, it's not a, 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 a buxom curved uh, hourglass. And there's a difference in our body structure that aligns with our behavior. And it's the same with men, although men have obviously have different bodies. <laughs> so no, actually... I'm a buxom curvy woman. And when oh, I used good. to ride a motorcycle... I oh, had one yeah. rule. Leather, yeah. no. I always wore ruffles or lace so that I looked more feminine, even though yeah. I might have been riding a bike. Yeah, but that's that's the classic um, masculine-minded female because our femaleness is what brings us to the ruffles and the and the curves. But in, in, internally, in our body structure, we we walk with a much more defined um, path. We stand straighter and we present ourselves to the world. We have the magic of Very true. being female and having the masculine mind. Now, the thing is that this isn't, this isn't to doubt women who have a very feminine mind. They, they can also be very good in business, as with men. So if you look at men, you also have, the, if you like, the, the masculine mindset and the feminine mindset. Um, I often quote Nelson Mandela as being a feminine-minded male a very intuitive-minded man, very much a man, but with that ability to be intuitively tuned into his emotions and his feelings, yeah? So I define different types of mental types, and the goal is not to label us, but to understand our behavior. So back to the first one is that the dynamic, what I want is a dynamic to work well for whatever situation we're in. So what do we need to have around the table so that we can get the magic mix? So that's why I talk mm. about magical conversations as the outcome of understanding who we are. Thinking, you know, with all the weirdness um, that people experience just being human, male or female, it's a yeah. wonder if someone just la- landed on this planet today, they would probably wonder how we've managed to get so much done despite <laughs> all of this. You know, because we, we, we have yeah. trouble figuring out ourselves personally and how then we interact with others is affected by that. And then the other thing, as you guys were talking, is I have to keep up with video games. I have a 12-year-old boy, and uh, yeah. so I watch him playing, and he's he's got a game where you dial in characteristics um, to a very fine-tuned degree of of any of his characters that he's playing with. So as you guys were talking about the intuitive level of people and things like that, all I could think at the time was those little slider bars where you could dial up the intuitiveness or dial it back down and dial up something else. And the challenge is in his game that once you dial, you only have so much power. So you when you dial one thing up, something naturally has to go down. So he's always tweaking these little things. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if we had little things on our arms where we could dial up what we needed for the day, depending on if we're going to the ball bearing place or the prison or, <laughs> you yeah. know, it would be so, so cool to be able to do that. But I don't know. That's probably a weird uh, uh, digression, but still, that's what I was thinking. No, well, it's interesting because basically one of the issues is that the world has changed rapidly, hasn't it? The last 30 years, the last 10 years, even, we're doing things in a different way. So like being very digital and 
like you say, you know, doing all these, uh, you know, wishing we had 10 arms so we could do different computer games. We're all working in very different ways, but we're still different in terms of men and women. And that's the magic that we want to make sure we, uh, we, that we keep hold of. Yeah. We don't want yeah. to lose the beauty of being men and women and being different types of men and women. So, Jack, well, what, what do you think? So, you, what type of man are you? Gosh, I don't know. I think I would <laughs> let Gina answer that. She knows me pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you in, an intuitive-minded male? Oh, I think so, yes. Yeah. Very and much, the, actually, yeah. I mean, Jack I, is, I, I don't know. Jack is a very masculine man in terms yeah. of his interests. He used to be a, an uh, outdoor tracker. But he has oh, okay. a woman's heart and oh. has a woman's intuition. So he really yeah. is an anomaly, in my opinion. Uh, well, it, <laughs> that's wonderful, Jack. And I know if you look at the dynamic between the two of you, which obviously works really well, you're all male, but you have this, as Gina says, you have this female heart, which is great. And Gina is all female but she has this masculine mind so you counterbalance each other it's perfect the dynamic is really really good yeah so in in my terms i designed a map and you actually are the right balance for each other it could it possibly come from uh having a man absent in my family having a mom and two sisters or is that irrelevant because it feels Um, relevant it's, it's partly relevant, but there's something about our nature that indicates our original nature. So, for instance, I don't know whether you have a brother. Do you have a brother? No, no brother. No. Just two big but, sisters. Yeah. So often in families, what I find is that if there's two boys, then one is more masculine-minded, one is more feminine-minded. But they're both boys and they're both men. So... um probably being a, a more intuitive, gentle-minded male brought up by your mom uh, helped to encourage that to blossom. Yeah? Huh. Uh, because you Thanks, don't mom. have a brother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but your two sisters, are the two sisters different? Different in a lot of ways, yes. But, yeah. um, you know, sisters and similar in all the ways you'd expect. Yeah. So this is another characteristic of my work is that we are similar because we're all human beings and all women are women and all men are men. But it's our, our preferences when we're actually in a behavioral mode um, of, of how, we, how we direct our communication. And as I say, with you two, you've got a very good complementary. So sometimes maybe, yeah. Gina, you're more directive and sometimes you're more um, sensitive, Jack. And then other times you'll reverse that because you're a man and a woman. You've got male and female and masculine and feminine uh, as a counterbalance. So how does all this apply to the work that you do with the companies that you've worked with and entrepreneurs? Well, it it really is an underpinning to understanding how people communicate with each other. And then that underpins how you build relationships. So in the workplace, whether you're colleagues or your boss and subordinate or you're, you're part of a team, all of those things come into play. And one of the things I focus on is understanding our similarities, but understanding our differences. So we need to know both. 
So if we're all women, we're working together as a team, we know that but some women are different to others. We can understand the variables between masculine and feminine behavior in order to create the, the team. So in the business world, it's about the dynamics of a whole department or a team or a, a one-to-one relationship. Very often my clients will say, you know, I don't know, the team doesn't, it's just not gelling. You know, there's, there's sort of, people don't understand how to get on with each other to communicate. And that's where I come in. And what we do is we map everybody out uh, as their differences so that then they can combine their strengths to have a conversation and build relationships as a team. So it's about honoring so everybody's differences. Yeah. So the, the, so it starts and ends there. You don't get into, I was getting ready to say with all of the stuff in the news and, you know, all these companies and the, um, the women's rights and the Me Too movement and everything, you don't really deal in things like that. Companies aren't calling you in to rescue them from problems there. They're really working on team dynamics. That's where you yeah, really come well, in and probably yeah, prefer it's, to it's, stay. <laughs> well, actually, Jack, yes, it's a mixture of both nowadays because, um, because the Me Too movement has highlighted many of the issues. Um, one of the things I've been doing, which you might be interested in, I've been interviewing men. Uh, so I've interviewed 37 men across the world over the last six months to ask them about men. So I've been asking men about what's happening for men um, because companies are now concerned about sexual harassment cases. Obviously, if they come up, then they have to deal with them, and that's a different issue. But there's a lot of men who are sort of stepping back because they're not quite sure how to handle a mixed uh, workforce. And that's where I often get called into work with a senior department head or CEO about how does the culture adapt to now being full of men and women together and what is appropriate behavior and what's inappropriate behavior. Because sometimes it's not the malicious stuff that uh, they worry about. It's just the, the communication and the, the implication of certain uh, behaviors between men and women. So one of the things I've discovered when I was talking to all the men in the interviews is that they all collectively said that men were feeling confused at the moment. I don't know whether that's something that you think, Jack. I I have another weird image in my head. Should I share it with you? Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. I, it, it, it just dawned on me that it's really weird that it's 2019, but it's almost like you're Diane Fossey trying to teach the photographers from National Geographic how to in trouble with her gorillas. But it doesn't <laughs> seem like we should be talking about that in 2019. I, it, it's, a, it's amazing to me that there is still such a level of confusion, um, yes. maybe on the part of everyone, but certainly on the part of men, of, mm-hmm. as to how to proceed. It seems like we should have had this figured out by now. Oh, I totally agree. And, I mean, I've been around a long time, um, um, you know, I'm definitely a a baby boomer. I've been around several decades. And it's amazing that we've got to this uh, terribly intelligent global world, and yet we haven't haven't got this sorted out. And in a way, there were several things that came out of my research. Firstly, every man wanted to talk about men. So when I say to men, can I interview about men? They go, oh, yes, yes, I, I want to have my say. So that was the first thing, even when they're quite busy men. Uh, and the second was that we're feeling confused. Um, 
we don't know how to manage women now. We don't know whether to open the door or wink at them or, you know, any sort of, of the very minor characteristics. But I think it has it has highlighted those uncertainties because of the Me Too cases. But now this is why we need to get into what I call magical conversations because we need to get past the confusion and the the, the fear that somehow I'm going to be uh, challenged and get men and women talking with each other because otherwise we're never going to create a better future and that's my passion. Do you, so well, let's I, talk about that. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to ask you, uh, we know everybody's got some idea of what's happening in the present and we already talked about how somewhat shocking it is that we're finding what we're finding in the present. But I would love to hear what you think about the future. When we finally do get over all of this, is there a way that you can paint a picture of how men and women and men and men and women and women, how we all just work together? What's that society look like? Because it is a different society than what we have now. We could call it society oh. 2.0 or whatever, but it, it's different than, than what we have now, right? It's, uh, absolutely. And it, it's about having shared values. And for me, those shared values need to be around true collaboration. Um, and, and when you truly collaborate, you don't lose your identity. So we still, it's not about cloning everybody to be the same. So let me just give you an example. I've been running magical conversation circles. And there are three rules people can come into that circle. The first one is they come without any judgment. So they come without their ego and their judgment and therefore, they, they're trying to avoid assumptions because that, that stops us thinking about the conversation ahead of us. And the second rule is not to be angry in your body. So you might be um, quite passionate about a subject matter, but you're not actually slamming the table or, or you know, going off in a half. And the third rule is no urgency and pressure to control the outcome until it's blossomed. So what I mean by that is that when you allow people to come into a conversation without judgment and without anger, you will find that the the quieter people come forward and the loud people listen and more of the unknown and the the amazing comes out that you didn't know what was going to be. So that's the magic. Uh, so for me to paint a picture of the future is where everybody understands who they are and their differences, they, they know who's around the table, but they contribute to the, the collective conversation in a way that listens to everybody, interjects, yes, but allows a flow so that we really have a collaborative, uh, I, I hesitate to use the word community because that, that feels too controlling, but a, a truly collaborative flow where we honor everybody for their expertise. And, we don't go around and say, well, I'm better than you, or I'm right and you're wrong. We always listen. And it's not wishy-washy because you're still moving towards a collective viewpoint uh, and, and making decisions about what everybody needs at that point in time. But it does mean we've got to get away from the old view of the world where it's a hierarchy and there's, uh, you know, uh, oh, I've man. got the bigger, I've got the bigger car, and I've got the bigger house, and all this, and and I, I, you know, I'm an influencer of millions of people, you know, 
you look at somebody like Nelson Mandela, who was a true influencer of many millions of people in the world. He didn't go around shouting about it. He just got on with what he wanted to do and what he wanted to be. Yeah. So You know, it's, it's ironic that we're having this conversation right now because I think we've reached the apex, at least here in the States, of that old historical bigger car, I've got mine, turf. That's the thing is I wonder is it, I hear people talk like you and I, I believe in it and I love the idea. I love the vision. And I have also taken part in some things that in a controlled environment were wonderful representations of some of the things you're talking about. But when it gets out into the wild, I'm not sure I have faith in people's ability to not claim turf, to not get ahead and do that new old capitalistic uh, form of Darwinism that just, you know, yeah. the best shall survive and, and everything else. I've seen it in a controlled environment. What kinds of things have you seen happen long, as long as they can or long term as a result of your work after you leave and, the, you know, they have to manage themselves? They have to play by the rules themselves. They have to self-police is, Yes. Can it really happen? Can that really work? Well, it, it can, and there are there are good examples of this in the world, um, and and they and I mean we know that there are some very good stories in business, like um, one of my favourite characters, Sir Richard Branson, of course, one of mine, my British role model. But you know, by all accounts, his his Virgin companies have a solid value system which engages mm. people. They want to be there. He believes in you know, his imp- looking after his employees. And, and, you know, there was one time when he said he trusted his management to take any type of holiday they wanted in a year. He said, you can take as much holidays that you want in the year, but you will always do your job. And so, of course, because people cared about it, they wanted to be there and they owned it. They didn't just take six months off. But that flexibility and that trust enabled them to be part of a community which would allow that to happen. Um, there's, so, there are other stories, you know, but the challenge we've got is that there are a, there are a lot of very, um, as you said, Jack, you know, there's a world which is very pushy at the moment. Uh, push, push, push. There's a lot of people. There's eight billion people in the world now. When I was a kid, there was only two billion. You know, there's a lot of people out there, and a lot of people not making money, trying to make money, uh, and and getting panicky, and and. The challenge to the world is to allow the goodness to come up, the conscious, what they might call conscious capitalism, give service and add value and be paid a a just amount for what we do. But we don't need to oversell ourselves. Uh, I think we we need to allow tribes to form naturally. Um, I don't know whether you've read about, uh, Seth Godin talks about the tribe, you know, allow people Mm -hmm. to come to you who want to work with you. And there, there were examples of, um, I can't remember where it was now, but there was an example where somebody had an enormous organization and he had that kind of aha moment in his 60s and he just decided to change the whole management structure, make it much more collaborative to reduce all the levels of pay so that people were earning much more similar amounts and turn the whole company around with smiling. And, and it worked. And people thought he was mad when he first started because he was a capitalist beforehand. But he just said, you know, I've got to this stage in my life when 
I don't want to have my legacy being, you know, I made everybody work too hard. But because he gave yeah. trust to his employees, they gave trust back to him. So they worked harder. I think he actually allowed them to work whatever time in the week they wanted to. It's a bit like the Richard Branson one. But because he built the trust, they they over they over they overworked because they wanted to, but then they got the the reward. So it's it, so there are leadership is a really big deal. Oh, it is, and it's leadership by example, not by control. Yeah, that's you know it's, it's, it's uh, um, it, so if you came in and provided leadership on uh, the exercises and the work that you take people through. It yes. can succeed long term if you pass the reins to someone who continues along the lines that you that you help to establish. Is that yes. fairly yes. accurate? Absolutely. And um, I'm a great uh, follower of Simon Sinek. I don't know whether you follow him, but he, he oh, yeah. talks about you know we're not leaders are not there to lead people. They're they're there to um, kind of educate their people to be able to lead the business. Uh, it, it's not a control and command situation. But, of course, we have got lots of companies and, and governments and, and whatever who are very control and command. And that's the divide, I think, in the world, that, that you know, there is an old guard who are still into that control and command. And then the, the new wave, which is truly about collaboration and people's needs and identifying who we are as human beings and, and making us, feel valued because we are valuable. Um, I've, got, I've got a book coming out actually this week um, and it's called Magical Conversations and the first thing I look at in the book is what is your natural gift? What were you born with that you do so well you didn't need education? And if we focus on that and everybody adds value through their natural gift as well as learning skills, I believe we can start changing the world from right down from the get-go. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always get – it depends on which news you see last in my world, how I feel in general. I, I usually don't get knocked off my center these days as much as I used to. I'd read something bad, and I'd be like, oh, the world, the whole world matches what I just read. But, you know, you do waver on either side of your center <laughs> in this day and age. And, you're, and you see the pockets of goodness, as you stated, and yes. you see the pockets of not-so-goodness. And you always, I always wonder, who's winning? Like, because it's very important. It, it's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but it's the only way that I can look at such a massive, massive issue with so many moving parts and try to figure out, is good winning or is good not winning? And I won't even label what the other side is. I won't say evil because that's, although I did just now say that, I'm not, I don't mean that. I just say good yeah. is either winning or not winning. What do you feel like? Because you've got a very unique look at this in the corporate landscape, entrepreneurial landscape. Mm. Are, are we winning? Do, do we have a lot more work to go or a little bit more? <laughs> what is the state of the union in your world? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting question because what came to mind was what is winning? Uh, you know, right. if you look at yeah. the question, what is winning? If if a man or woman had a, you know, a few billion dollars in the bank, but they get cancer and they die, you know, who's winning? I mean, as you said, there are so many different parts to this whole human equation. 
And I think we have got quite a long way to go, but I think it's speeding up. I don't know. I just feel that everything is speeding up and the choices that we need to make are speeding up. So in any conversation, if you take it down to the micro level, from the macro level, the micro level is, I say to people, you know, are you having a magical conversation with everybody? You know, when you go to the supermarket, when you chat to the guy at the checkout or you talk to somebody in the in the shopping aisle, as well as the boss or your colleague, are you coming with no judgment and, and no anger? Are you looking to create a flow of energy? Even from that base, you know, do people know what your value is? What What's your natural gift? What can you add that's not on a piece of paper and a credential that you worked hard for? Yes but you're not trying to control anybody else. You're inviting them into the conversation. And I suppose yeah. one of the biggest changes in the world is, apart from technology and, and women coming into the workplace, is um, entrepreneurship. Because there are so many people now running their own business. And that's given them a freedom to be themselves, but it's, it's given them a fear about how do I manage this in the bigger picture. And it's, it's polarized them from the old guard who, you know, whether it's the government or it's the corporations, there's a gap. It's a bit like between men and women. What I found with my research is that they felt like there was a, a gap uh, or a, 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 a deep crevice forming between men and women, whereas three or four years ago, men were very gung-ho about, I'm going to advocate for women to the top and I'm going to make sure you know, you know I've got women on my board and all that. It feels like that's got a bit backwards, and I would like that to mm. move forward because I think that's where, for me, and, and the research and the evidence as well as common sense tells us, when we work well together, we complement each other, and, in fact, a mixed team working well together creates the best results, and that's evidential. So, um, and they do say that a mixed team is the best, uh, second best team is a woman, and the third best team is a man. And don't don't quantify me on that because that, that's some research that somebody <laughs> did. But it makes sense to me that if you look at nature, in nature, every animal, every breed, it's always there's a male or female. They come together, they procreate, they live, they have their own community rules. And it works. Okay, some species eat other species. That's unfortunate. But essentially, the, 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 the natural world has got it sorted out. And I think as human beings, we've got so fast forward with our, our intelligent technology and we're rushing towards AI and RE and, and all sorts of things that I can't even remember. And yet we haven't got the basics sorted out, which is how do we deal with each other? How, what's the dynamic between you and me? that makes my day good and makes your day good. And, yeah. and that's the simplicity of it. That there's, If I know me, then I can get to know you, and together we become we. That's a very simple cycle I use in all my work. What is the phenomenon when, like when 9-11 happened or any kind of a, a shared collective disaster, there was a pulling together that kind of yeah. I started thinking about as you were talking about, Mag, uh, you know, magical conversations and those kinds of things. Like, w w I feel like I had a lot more cross talk with people I wouldn't normally associate with that was friendly and working toward a goal. What happens when people facing disaster, like as a country or maybe a company? What what makes them so 
willing at that point to pull together in a way that they should be pulled together at all times. Mm. Well, that is the most fascinating thing, Jack, and I'm glad you mentioned that. You look at the fires in North California recently, um, everybody gets together. And what happens, I think, is when there's a disaster, we forget the material side of life. You know, we, we... you know, there's a fire rushing down the valley. It's not, you're not going to be able to save your house, but you can save the people. So we actually get back to the core, which is people. And actually people are more important. You know, it's like illness. Illness is not going to be rescued by having a billion dollars in the bank. You know, if you're going to get cancer or you're going to have a car crash, it's irrelevant as to how rich you are or how important you are. So when there's a disaster... Uh, and I think it, uh, I don't know. I think it was Ronald Reagan, wasn't it? Who said that you know, if we got a rotation from the aliens from outer space, then the world would actually come together. Because there's yeah. that we, we, we're threatened by something bigger than us, and we recognise in that moment that human being, being a human being, is actually the most important thing, and that love over fear actually will conquer, and that if we actually all loved each other we could make the world instantly better. But maybe maybe our, maybe our journey on the world is to be in this slightly fearful place because we're here to learn and we're here to find out about each other. So every, every right. difficult... Um, I, I'll give you an example. If you've got a large audience and I say to an audience, how many of you are difficult people? You will get uh, half a dozen people put their hand up. Uh, maybe in America you'll have more than that. In, in Britain you'd only have half a dozen. But if I say to the audience, how many of you know a difficult person, every single hand will go up. So <laughs> we all we all project out there that, oh, oh, that person's difficult. Actually, there's no such thing. It's just that we're different. And at that point of contact, we don't understand what the difference is. So if I've got a different political um, position to you or, or – I think you're less than me or whatever it is, as soon as, or if I think, you know, you're too numbers oriented, you should be a linguist, whatever it is, as soon as we don't understand the differences, we create a difficulty. So my, my work, my journey in my work is to help business people, or if I'm working with a private client, help them to understand where they're positioned on my gender dynamics map. And where they're standing, how different are they to everybody else on that map? And if they want to connect with anybody else, what path do they need to take in order to do it? And what's interesting, Jack and Gino, is once you get it right, you forget what you've learned and just go, oh, this is right. I knew this anyway. Uh, and that, that addresses, thing. Yeah, that's what addresses your point, Jack, about why are we, why are we needing to learn what inappropriate behavior is? We should know. Yeah. But, you know, and, it, and maybe the, uh, the disaster example is proof of that. I think it is. Those people, people that come together didn't just go to university and have a, a, you know, a philosophy course and all of that kind of stuff. It, the disaster happened and they started acting the way I think we're built to act all the time. Yes. But there's this, uh, there's this amygdalic response to bad news, to fear, to things. I mean, look at how the news agencies have completely flipped over how they report news in the last 10 or 20 years. And they're doing that because mathematically 
And economically, it makes sense. Their bottom lines yeah. have never been better because they figured out that the humans really, really love and perk up uh, around bad news. And, yes. I mean, to the point where it's really ironic, it's crazy to me that there's that I never catch any news where it's just a calm, feel-good story about, uh, you know, a, a cat getting rescued from a tree by a fireman. I mean, there's just no... <laughs> There's none of that anymore. There used to be yeah. that, and um, it, it's weird. That's why I start to worry, because I feel like the things that you and I want to put into the world um, have a very hard time, because that's the sandpaper that grinds on them as soon as they get out of the safe space. As soon as they leave, yeah. that's, you know, they don't have a good news network, you know, GNN well, that's, that's instead right. of CNN. And that's, that's something we should develop is a is a sharing of all the good news stories. So I often say to people, you know, what's your magical conversation story? Um, especially good when you have a magical conversation with a total stranger because you inspire something in that person. You may never see them again. You may be passing them on a train journey or whatever. But that magic moment makes you feel good. So I always say to people, you know, if, you're, if your life is perfectly great, if the work is fine, you don't need me. But if there's something that niggles that's going wrong, that's difficult, then we can map it out and we can find out what the terrain is, what's the territory, who are the players, and what's the intention. And what you said earlier was important, that there are so many facets to every situation today. Uh, and yet people are very polarized about politics or business or right or wrong. Um We've got to get back to a much more embracing conversation where we can get some some seeds really planted in the ground to create a values-based, you know, what are the shared values of one of the virgin companies, for instance, that Richard Branson inspires? Or, or what are the values of companies that we know work in really good ways? They tend to be based on shared values between all the people. And that's where it grows yeah. very strong. It started to get a little fuzzy to me um, what the direct experience of that was like. You know, it's time has passed, and it's gotten more in the other direction than the one, you know. I mean, I heard someone say they were trying to compare the effective tax rates for the top 1% earners, I guess. you. A lot of people have trouble with someone with a billion dollars in the word earn, but the top 1% earners own as much as the top bottom 50%, um, at least here in the States, or it might be the whole world. I think it was a worldwide study. Yeah. Anyway, um, and they were talking about, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> Tell me why I just did that. I can't believe that. I never do that. Um, <laughs> where was I going? You tell me where I was going with that. <laughs> you may um, not know. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. You were talking about the kind of, I think society has got into pockets. So we know that there's a, everybody's saying that there's a, there's a wider uh, gap. Oh, right, right, the, right. Yeah. The so they were doing, the they were doing a yeah. yeah. The, the effective tax rate for people that at that 1% in the fifties or so was the highest that it had ever been in the country. Uh, or maybe even further back just after the uh, crash here in the United States. Yeah. And then they started showing how, pointing back to, there were a lot of problems back then with racism and things like that. It's not like it was all 
peaches and cream. But but the but uh, people who remember that time remember a country that was far more together um, than it is now. And when there was much more equality, when there was much more, you know, and I think it, if people are coming to work and you're working with people in corporations and entrepreneurs, stuff like that, and they have these outside influences that are coming inside from a world that's just tugging at them a lot harder than at other times in our history. It, does that, how does that, because I know it must, how does that exacerbate the problem of working together? I mean, because people, they might be in their safe space now, but they've got that stuff dripping off of them, that outside yeah. world, all those stresses with money and, and, and everything seems tighter now. It, does that, do you have to work harder with people because of that, or is it not well, as much of an but issue? Then, that's an interesting concept. You know, why would we have to work harder with people? It should be easy. You know, we're all human right. beings. And, and, and really, uh, assuming that we can hear and we've got a voice, but even, you know, if we're deaf, we can still communicate. You can communicate with that. You know, I've had a conversation with a woman on a train where I don't speak her language, but she was pregnant and I was having a sort of a, a mime conversation with her about her pregnancy. I mean, there are ways of having communication. But I think what's happened is that we've become so uh, controlled in our past. I mean, you know, the education system has controlled us. The, 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 the industrial, industrial age controlled people. You know, you will work, you will come at nine, go at five, you will do this, you that. But now we've blossomed into this, entrepreneurial digital uh, world and mixed living and women going to work and having children and and what it's it's given us a freedom but i think we haven't we haven't understood that the most important part of anybody's life is themselves but that's not in an ego sense that's like i find most people don't really know they don't know what their natural gift is they don't know who they are they don't know why they get up in the morning and sometimes, and and I've done this myself. You know, you get so caught up in, oh my God, I got a, I'm an entrepreneur. I need to make money. Where's my next client? That you forget that it's your energy that makes a difference. So you need to pay attention no. to yourself during the day. You have to understand yourself. So if we have a cycle which says, I, you, me, I, you, we. So I is knowing myself. You is me knowing you. So I need to understand you and your difference to me. And then the we is, what do we do together? So being collaborative is not a controlling situation. It's not, a, it's not a communism. It's not, a, it's not a closed community. It's actually a collaboration of a kind of like amoebas that, that form together and form entities. So you might go to work and be an entity with a group at work. And then at home, you come back to your family, and that's another group. But your collaborative spirit flows through your intention to get in touch with anybody in your life and not be controlled by external forces. Because to be honest, when the, the, that disaster comes in or the tragedy, that external force will make you think about your human beingness and how do you help your other fellow humans. So the, the journey is um, of self-discovery without becoming egotistical. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm thinking and, about and, external and factors. Coming, yeah. coming back to different types of men and women, what I've done in studying men and women is that there are very definite ranges of men and ranges of women. 
Uh, and as Gina alluded to earlier, you know, sometimes it's easier to get on with men for certain types of women. And sometimes women don't get on with other women, and women can fall out very badly. Men can argue with each other, but often they don't fall out. They kind of have a, a, a an ability to get past those things because they're, they, they're much more boxed in the way they, they operate. Women are very fluid, so um, I'll... Uh, after this program, I'll I'll send you both my gender dynamics map, and you can see where you are on the map. It makes it very, uh, make it very obvious what our differences are. And I think we've just gone so fast forward with technology and entrepreneurship that we've forgotten who we are as human beings. And the main thing is, Jack and Gina, it's okay to be different. In fact, it's glorious to be different. But to honor each yeah. other's differences is the most important thing. Do you ever do you ever deal with um, specific emotions or or people? Do I mean does this ever come up in in the when you're working on this um, stuff? About just people's how they deal with anger because um, everybody's carrying around unless they've done some training and they're actively being mindful and and doing a lot of the things that you've been talking about yeah. today. Everybody's carrying around some sort of pit in their stomach. Uh, that manifests a lot of times as a real pit in their stomach if they don't deal with letting that go. But how much does the, do the lower emotions like anger and things like that come into this in terms of people's ability to break free enough to be that person who walks around, as you described, that's not affected yeah. as much by external stuff and, and all of those things? Because I'm thinking somewhere, I'm somewhere in the range of the middle of that, maybe the upper Maybe if I if I've been doing enough meditation and things, but I see myself slipping back and being extraordinarily disappointed with how I handle situations, even to this day. And I've been doing a lot of work, um, but I see it, I recognize it, and then I know that some people have said you just go on, you learn from that, you recognizing it is uh, solving it. You know, is it the beginning of solving it? But how much of that do you have to deal with in order to get the result that you're looking for and to have these teams get the result that they're looking for? Well, it's very important because uh, everybody's got points where they get angry and we've all got fears. And like you said, it's, um, the journey, our own self journey will take us along a path of understanding when there's a failure or a rejection or we feel angry that we deal with that, place it on somebody else and we deal with it. And that's our learning life. So when you're working, when I'm working with a, a team in, in business, and I was thinking of one uh, department I worked with where the boss was a woman and her four main reports were two men and two women. And one of the men was really angry with her because he just didn't like her style of leadership. And he said, oh, I'm going to retire next year. I can't do it. But when they sat down in a safe space and they actually recognized their differences, the anger started disappearing because they understood why the anger came up. So it came up because she was fast-paced. She wanted her stuff now. He didn't want to do it now. He wanted to think about things, and he was very reliable. Once they became aware of their differences, the anger dissipated because they no longer got irritated by what they saw as mistakes on each other's part. And they turned the whole relationship around, but it doesn't happen in half an hour. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, yeah. it's a process of... I think the whole program took six months and there was 19 of them. And she reported back to me a year later that it was the only training she'd ever done with her team 
where it lasted a long time. Because people were owning the state. They owned their state of being, as he was, he was quite a, an intuitive, quiet man, and she was a very loud, bossy lady. But they had a value to each other, which they shared. And then the whole team started responding to them becoming more in tune with each other. So it, it's not a quick journey um, because, as you said, we hold on to negative things. Um, we always notice the one rejection, even when we get 100 applauses. We've got to say, oh, but I got rejected there. Oh, yeah, but you got applauded 100 times. And it's, a, it's, a, it's yeah. being a consistent process of reaffirming, as you said, putting in personal practices like meditation or time out. Or, you know, if you feel angry, saying, look, I'm just going to leave the room at the moment. I'll be back in half an hour. I just need to quash my own anger instead of giving it to you. And there are practices that even in businesses we can agree to put together because it honors the human being who's in that team. So you value the, you value the contribution they bring and you also honor their personality. You know, some people are more extrovert, some people are more introvert. You, you, you're not going to change them to all be the same. You honor who they are. So I work a lot with psychometric profiles and gender dynamics about helping people to understand. But then it's not controlling them. It's about how do they want to lead their lives and what's the, what's the commercial outcome for them if they're a team or even if they run their own business. Because once they get the right elements into the team and into the business, then the business will explode and become much more uh, successful and much more sustainable. And those are the two key issues that we've got to work on. So where would a company or a team leader um, or an entrepreneur listening to this right now go to find out more about what you do? Well, um, I've got two websites. One is uh, Miss Magical Conversations at MISMagicalConversations.com. Um, and on there, I've got some of my, uh, all my philosophy and my, some corporate work and programs that I do. But also, because I'm British, I have a, a corporation in the UK called Corporate Heart. So corporate, C-O-R-P-O-R-A-T-E, H-E-A-R-T, heart in your body. Corporate Heart, because it's a UK company, it's .co.uk. So I'm bringing that into America. I've only been in America one year, so I'm going to set up Corporate Heart in America. And then my, my performance uh, brand is Miss Magical Conversations. So you can find me on either of those websites and just put Pauline in front of the name. So Pauline at MissMagicalConversations.com and Pauline at CorporateHeart.co.uk. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook, so, uh, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, um, and Twitter. So you are a uh, U.S. resident. You are here. I'm here now. I married my gorgeous man, my American, and unbelievably, just a quick story. I met him in Yugos- in, in Budapest, Hungary, in Europe, uh, 2011 on Thanksgiving Day, 2011, and we corresponded after meeting for only a day at a conference we corresponded for uh, six months 45,000 words and I decided it was time to come to America so I came to America and he proposed to me and we got married in the little white chapel in Las Vegas with Elvis Presley singing me down the aisle and, <laughs> and, uh, and we've lived in Malaysia for four years and now we're here um, so I'm just about to get my green card so fingers crossed and I'm, I'm here to make a difference in the world 
uh, and I see the world as a very global collaboration. And that's my plan is to get my my map into every single boardroom, every classroom, every home, so that people can start building relationships that matter. Oh, and, and my, well, my, my first book is coming out on Friday. I'm launching my first book called Magical Conversations, uh, Transforming Conflict into Collaboration. So I would be delighted to send you both my book. Is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is awesome. And I suppose that will be on Amazon, of course, so people can just look Amazon up Magical Conversations. Yeah, Magical Conversations. Okay, my name is Pauline, Pauline Crawford Oms, and so... OMPS, O-M-P-S, is my husband's name. I decided I would be um, a rebel and not change my name, but keep my name and put his name on the back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did that when I got married in 1993, Dr. Pauline. Gina Gaudio Graves was my married name. When I got ah. divorced earlier this year, I didn't feel like Gina Gaudio anymore. But I really didn't want to continue as Gina Gaudio Graves. So I petitioned the court to change my name to Gina Gaudio Grace so that I could tell the story of how I've gone from the grave to grace. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. It's been so wonderful talking to you two. I've just really enjoyed the conversation. This is definitely a magical conversation. Don't you agree? I totally agree. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, that's my passion is to spread spread a little magic across the world and keep everybody smiling. Well, I am all about collaboration. And I often tell my clients and my students that there is no such thing as competition. I call it coopetition, a combination of collaboration, even so much as with your competitors. Collaboration yeah, really is such a powerful, powerful concept. So I, I really am so glad to hear that that is what you're helping to bring to the world as well. There, there can't be enough of us out there espousing to that as a norm. Well, I, I agree. Let's get beyond the confusion of me too and get into magical conversations. That's my mission. And any way anybody out there can help me, I would love to hear from them. And I, it's been so good talking to you too. I just loved it. You've made my made my day magical. Thank you so much. And Jack and I will be back next week, same time, same place. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. Thank you.